Yes, third and fourth songs. So two, three, and four, which two and three will play kind of together, and then three to four, just start as soon as you're ready, because I won't have much to say. Not that well. I'll go make a song. I'll go make a sheet. Bring time. This class has already started. Take. So that's the that's the question that preludes all of these things. How much money would it take for you? So play this in your mind. You can play it with the person next to you if you're near somebody. How much money would it take for you to tell the next person you're introduced to how much you think they weigh? Hi, George, it's nice to meet you, 240, 250, yeah, don't do it to a woman, unless you want to get sucker punched, I hear that's not the thing to do, uh, so how much money would, would it take for you, like, I tell you, my dollar is high, like, on that one, some of these, my money amount is low, but on that, I'm gonna say it's, uh, pretty, pretty high, so, uh, how much money would it take you to tickle the next person you meet? Like, hi, Bill. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Whatever it takes. I don't, I don't know how you would tickle them. Uh, again, you might get sucker punched. So uh, always be on your guard with these. Keep the, keep the hands up as you're doing it. <clears throat> I love this one. How much money would it take for the next person that shows you a picture of their baby, you to say, hmm, can't win them all. <laughs> Hunter and Emily, you guys won. You have an adorable baby. So, uh, yeah. Again, you're going to get punched. I don't recommend doing these, but, you know, they're like, play the game. How much money would it take for you to do these things? How much money would it take you to use a public bathroom barefoot? Yeah, all our germaphobes just are like, I don't even use public bathrooms, let alone I'm going in there barefoot, like $2 billion. Like, I mean, just add up our economic debt, and that's what I'll take. <laughs> How much money would it take for you to buzz your head right now? Some of you, I want to take a lot because you're living that lifestyle. But uh, I got asked that question a week before my wedding, and I said $500, and then Heather found out. I almost had a wedding with two black eyes because she was like, no, you're not doing that. All right, last one. Nope, yep, last one. How much money, this one grosses me out, just the thought of it. How much money to swallow your gum for a year? 
Like every piece of gum you chew, you swallow that. I mean, it stays in your system seven years, they say. So, I mean, you're, you're stuck. You're just going to be bloated up. Uh, we, we, played a game, we played this recently uh, with a group of friends. And as we were playing it, that question came up. And it was fun to see. I mean, through this whole game, it's always fun to see people's responses. For, like, blanket statement here, men usually have lower dollar amounts. It's like, man, I'd five bucks. I do that. Women, you're, you have a higher dollar amount. On average, your dollar amount is a lot higher. But it was fun whenever we asked the one about the gum because you could just see how everybody was responding. And it was like, you know, like, it's a per piece deal. So, like, I think if I ate 300 pieces of gum, give me $10 per piece of gum that I swallow. So however much money that would add up to be. And they were sitting there and they were thinking about it. And that's kind of the way the game is played. I mean, you get asked this question and you got to be careful on your response because sometimes people pull out their wallets and are like, prove it. Let's see you do that. And, and so you have to kind of consider the cost of what you're willing to do that for. I mean, how much is it going to be for me to get two black eyes because I'm guessing somebody's weight and I'm off by 100 pounds? I mean, like, really, I need my medical bills paid. So that's how much I have plus a little on top. You, you sit there and you consider how much you're really willing to take to do these questions, to, to, to actually fulfill them. And how much would it take for you to denounce your faith? I mean, honestly. What's your dollar amount? How much would it take for you to give up the community of believers? Sadly, some of us don't have a lot of dollars on that. (laughs) Five bucks, I do it every week, really. How much would it take? Do you ever consider that about your faith? When you thought, I'm giving my life over to Christ, did you consider the cost of following Jesus? Did you consider how much you're willing to give up? Because Jesus tells us that we need to consider the cost before we follow him. It should not just be, uh, well, I really don't want to spend eternity in hell, so I'm going to follow Jesus. And then I'm going to really live like America says. I'm going to, you know, give Jesus Sundays, but not Monday through Saturday. And I'm not going to give Jesus more than 10%. I'll give him as much as he asks, but not a penny more. Do we really consider what it might cost? Is it your life? Are you willing to say, I'll follow Jesus up to death and beyond? How much? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you? Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it or not. And then Jesus says, which of you goes to war? Which king will go to war and not consider? Can we actually win this battle? And then he says in verse 33, he says, Therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to do that? Well, I really, I want to follow Jesus, but I love my job. I love my family. I love my possessions, my comforts, my country, whatever it is. So I'm not, I'm not really willing to give that up. Because again, the common notion is, hey, you can have both. You can have all the American dream is built up to be, and you can still be sold out for God. And they don't go together together. 
God says, I want to be first. I want to be over your possessions, your country, your family. I want to be over your own children. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Before that, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing. Not just, hey, I'm going to bow down to this image, but nothing. No money, no person, no status, nothing. He says, I want to be number one in your life. There was the story of a pastor, and it's not a story, it's a true story. But this pastor, he had just had this kid give his life over to Christ. And I mean, like, Christ just grabbed the kid, convicted the kid in high school. And the kid said, you know what, I want to become a missionary. And so the pastor was like, all right, praise God. Like, the kid was like, I'm ready to go and do work for God. And so a couple days later, the kid's mom reaches out to the pastor and is like, hey, can I meet with you? And the pastor was like, yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe, like, excited about the decision that the kid made for Christ or something. So they meet at a diner, and the mom is like, you know, I'm, I'm glad my kid gave his life over to Christ. Can you tell him not to get crazy about it, though? Like, can you tell him that he can follow Jesus and not get so caught up in it? How many of us might say that to our same kids? Hey, follow Jesus, but don't give up your careers. Don't give up your home. Don't give up your safety. Don't leave the comforts of what you have to go and do who knows what. What's going to happen to you if you go over there? There was this missionary, and he was going to go to a cannibalistic country. And as he was going to the, this cannibalistic country, that person came to him and said, don't you realize you could get eaten by humans there? And this, this missionary's response was, well, yeah, I could go and get eaten by humans and do that doing the will of God, or I could stay here and get eaten by worms. And it's like, I'm going to follow Christ. So have we thought of that? Because always, whenever we feel like God is calling us, and let me tell you, God's going to call you to some extreme, crazy things when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Because Jesus said, don't love your family more than me. I might call you to Africa. I might call you to China. I might call you to die for me at a young age. Are you willing to follow me? And there's always that question in our head. But what if? But what if, God, what, what if I never make the millions? What if I, I never get accepted? What if I live a meager, low life where I'm really rejected by everyone? What if I'm like Jeremiah, where I have to preach for so long and not a single person is converted? What if I'm like Ezekiel, where I go and I live out this mission that you're calling me to live, and I lose my family? My wife dies as part of the mission that you are telling me to go share. What if, God, what if it's not all roses and unicorns and daisies and pots of gold? What if it does not work out the way I want it to work out? In our encounter today, we're going to see that Peter has this kind of moment where he responds to what I'm going to say is risky faith. Because risky faith is when you view it from an American viewpoint of, hey, it's risky to move to another country. It's risky to leave everything and follow after Jesus from a world viewpoint. And that's the problem. We look at it from a world viewpoint all the time. And what we need to do 
And what Jesus is going to show us in this passage today is we need to look at who God is and who Jesus is and what he is calling us to. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 this morning. If you'll stand, we're going to read this. It's a very popular passage about Peter walking on the water. And so we'll read this. It's 11 verses starting in verse 22. And it says, immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He just fed 5,000 people. He dismissed them. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And then the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked out on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If you'll join me in a word of prayer, and then you can be seated. Father God, we thank you. Just that, God, you are so worthy. We sang it. You are worthy of everything. God, you are worthy and deserving of us leaving everything to follow after you. And I just pray that as we look into this this passage and see what you're trying to tell us, we see that you are deserving of a risky faith, which isn't even risky. It's following you. And that is the greatest faith that we can ever have. And so God, I just pray, strengthen our faith through this time and help us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. And so we see what happens in this passage is Jesus, he has just fed the 5,000. Prior to just feeding the 5,000, John the Baptist died. His cousin, his friend. And so Jesus is, is heartbroken. He tries to get away. The crowd follows him. And so he sees the crowd, has compassion on them, gives them food, and then he sends them away. And it's like, all right, I need my time alone. So he sends his disciples off. And they leave during the the daylight. It's still day outside. Jesus sends them. And then we're told a couple things that really tell us it's not going good for the disciples. Because they left during the daylight, then night comes, and then John 6, 19 tells us that they were about three to four miles away. And we're told this is only the fourth watch of the night, which is really three to six o'clock in the morning. So they have toiled and struggled. They've been rowing. We're told this in Matthew chapter 14. It says the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by wind, by the waves, because the wind was against them. And then Mark tells us in his account, they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And then John tells us in his account, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. I mean, they're like rowing and it's a six mile wide sea and they only made it three to four miles. They are not having a good night. 
I mean, just imagine that. Like you're, you're, you're beating. It's the middle of the night. Waves are crashing in over the boat. You're like, we're getting nowhere. We're rowing into a headwind. And then you see it. This, I mean, I'm guessing Jesus was glowing because they saw him. I don't know. But you see this object walking on the water. And I love that it says they were terrified. I mean, like, it's a good thing waves were splashing in because I'm sure there were some wet pants and nobody could tell anything about it. Eighth grade humor there, I guess. But it was just like, man, look at that. Like, here it is. And Jesus, they're like freaking out. And Jesus speaks words to them. And really, Jesus says two words. That I know I say, but God is my favorite two words. I guess these are my other two favorite words in the Bible. Because Jesus says words that should instill, if we truly understand what these words mean, I think we would say, Jesus, wherever you call me, I will follow. I'm going to go. You call me, I'm going. And Jesus says in Matthew 14, 27, the boat by this time was a long way off. And it, Jesus said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I understand you're thinking like math majors here, like that's not two words. But those three words, it is I, are actually two words. Those two words that Jesus said right there are, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this. Here goes my Greek. Ego am I. What Jesus is really saying is, do not be afraid. I am. I am. Hey, don't be afraid. I am. Have courage because I am. So the disciples are like, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, don't worry, I am. I hope those words sound familiar to you. And if not, let me introduce you to my favorite two words, my other two favorite words, in the Bible language. I am. Because these words are found one other place in the New Testament with this kind of meaning. Where Jesus says, ego am I. And that is found when all the guards come to arrest Jesus. Jesus is being betrayed. The uh, Judas comes, gives Jesus a kiss. And Jesus says, who is it that you are seeking after? And in John 18, 5 through 6, Jesus said, or they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And then verse 6, it says, when Jesus said, I am he, he didn't really say he, he said, I am. Notice the power in those two words. They drew back and fell. Jesus saying, I am to the disciples. And they have courage. Jesus saying, I am to this mob, and they fall back. It's just like they cannot stand in the presence of who Jesus truly is. Okay, why are those two words so important? Because their Hebrew equivalent is hayah. Kind of like if you were to judo top somebody and you said hayah. That's how it is, hayah. And we hear these two words. When Moses is being called to, to be used by God to deliver the Israelites, and Moses is coming up with every excuse he can come up with, and Moses says, hey, who do I say sent me? And God says, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, I am who I am. Say to this people, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. 
So in this very moment where they're like, it's a ghost, and Jesus is like, don't be afraid, I am. Jesus is going all the way back to Exodus, where Jesus is saying, yeah, that is me. I am God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am the God that delivered you out of Egypt. I am the God that led you into Israel. I am the God that has been faithful to you always. I am worthy of you not being afraid because I'm in control of everything. I am. And we see how Peter responds. That Jesus says, I am. And so then Peter says, Lord, if it is you, call me to come to you on the water. I mean, think about that. Like Jesus tells Peter to come. And now I kind of wonder, like playing this through in my head, what is Peter's response? Like, hey, Jesus, if it's truly you, call me out on the water. Okay, come. Uh, I don't know, Jesus. Like, if it's really you, like, I don't, I don't know how that played out in there. I know how it would play out in my mind. Wait a minute, you really want me to walk on the water? Like, we don't know how Peter responded. Did he sit there for a moment like, am I really about to do this? Like, did he, like, step out of the boat and like, is it solid? Okay, good, it's solid. I'm going to get on the water. Or did he just like, I believe you, Jesus, like just full plunge in. Like, I don't know how he responded. Think of the other disciples even. Like, I told you, I got coffee. Jesus, and I got community. We're rolling today. I'm even acting for you. Oscars are going to be coming. But anyways, think about the other disciples even. Here, Peter's like, he just told me to come. I'm going to go. What? I mean, like, what's the other disciples like? Are you kidding me? That's water. Nobody walks on water, man. Like, you're really about to go out there to him? You're crazy. Why would you follow him? I don't know if they're like that. I mean, like, but I know how people, even Christians, can be whenever we're like, hey, I feel like Jesus is calling me here. Are you sure? Have you weighed all the pros and cons? Have you made sure that you're going to be able to live a long, safe life? Have you really made sure that you're going to be comfortable? Have you really made sure you're going to be provided for? Have you really made sure everything's going to work out first? Are you sure you should step out of the boat and follow Jesus? A lot of Christians are even that way. I don't know if you should really do that. Like, I don't know if it's that safe. And it's like, Peter is like, y'all coming to, no, you staying in the boat? All right, I'm going. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever it is that he calls me. But Peter, what if you sink, man? Those waves are huge. You're about to walk on water. Are you sure? I don't know. Jesus just called me and I'm going to go. He is the I am. I'm going to follow him wherever it is that he leads me. So regardless, I don't know what happened. This is what I do know. Peter got out of the boat and Peter walked and followed Jesus. He said, man, yeah, it's crazy. It's risky. Nobody's walked on water before, but I see my Lord over there and he's calling me to come and I am going to go. I'm willing to go, regardless of what happens. And so Jesus tells Peter to come. Peter gets out and goes. Notice the storm is still raging. It's not like Peter got in the water and Jesus was like, all right, I'm going to get rid of everything here and make it nice and safe for you. No, there was still crazy waves going on. There was still wind that was beating against the boat. There was still the chaos of life going on. 
And Peter just said, I'm going to go into that chaos. I mean, it's comfortable in the boat. It's not really great, but it's better than out there. And yet Peter said, no, I'm going to go. Jesus, you're calling me to it. I'm going to have what some might say risky faith, and I'm going to follow you. And yeah, we know what happens to Peter. Dumb Peter, lack of faith, starts looking around, sees the waves, and is like, oh my goodness, and starts to sink the moment he took his eyes off Jesus. Again, I mean, so relatable. Dumb Peter, dumb Andy. It's like, man, Peter's following, Andy's following, and then it's like, okay, that crisis hit. I don't know if this is really what should happen. Oh no, that struggle's happening. Maybe this was a bad idea. Oh no, I don't know. Like, this is the what if that I was worried about. See, Jesus, you're not faithful. No, we just start looking at everything else. And we take our eyes off of the fact that Jesus is always faithful. That's in the Bible. Jesus is always faithful. When we are faithless, he is faithful. And so we keep our eyes on him. Yeah, there might be guards storming our house. My eyes are on Jesus. There might be chaos going on over here. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I am not going to look away. I'm going to keep my faith no matter what. And notice what happens. Peter, he starts sinking. And he says, Lord, save me. And it says, immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and saves Peter. And they together walk on water and get back in the boat. Jesus called Peter to a risky faith. I think if every single one of those disciples would have said the same thing, Jesus would have been, come, let's have a party out on the water. We're all walking on water, that's cool. Like, follow me wherever it calls you, wherever I call you. Jesus does not call you to a comfortable faith. Jesus never called you to a comfortable faith. Too many times actually in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says if you love Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. You should expect it. If you love Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those, blessed are you when you are insulted, reviled, mocked, made fun of, persecuted because of the gospel. I mean, like America is trying to say, hey, you can have Jesus and the comfort and the luxury. And Jesus is like, hey, no, I want you to have all of me. I might bless you with this stuff, but you have to follow me. And don't hold so tight to all this stuff that the day that I say, hey, I'm ready for you to sell everything, give it to the poor and follow after me like he did to the rich young ruler. And then the rich young ruler goes away sad. Because he had so much. And he was like, I didn't consider that. Give me something else, Jesus. Let me have this as well. Jesus wants you to follow him in a risky faith. And I know we all give Peter grief for sinking and starting to look away. And it's like, Peter, if you would have just kept your eyes on Jesus. But again, how many times do we sink Do we get caught up in that despair? Get caught up in questioning, God, are you really good? Because this is not working out the way I thought it was going to work out. God, are you really good? Because I'm not making that million. My 20-year plan has not worked out yet. Come on, Jesus, where are you in this? And it's like, no, Jesus is still good. Even when your dirt broke. 
Jesus is still good even when he calls you to sell everything. Even when he says, leave your family. Even when he says, I don't have that dream lined up for you. Instead, I have something else planned. Give up your dreams and follow after me. And then you're like, well, I thought I would like be famous by now. No. Jesus is still good even when you're not known. Jesus is good all the time. And so I believe that Jesus wants to constantly like test our faith and call us out onto the water, call us out into something new. I don't think Jesus just wants us to stay in the comfort of our home and just come to our comfortable pews on a Sunday morning and leave and be like, all right, that was cool for an hour. Now I can go and live in my luxury and my comforts. No, Jesus has a plan for his people. Jesus has a mission for his people in little Cherokee County, Kansas. Jesus has people that you know that he is saying, hey, 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 they need a relationship with me. Are you going to step out and talk to them about me? Well, I'm scared, Jesus. Yeah, but I'll lead you. I'll be with you. Just step out of the boat and get uncomfortable. Follow me in faith wherever it is that I call you. And the way that we do this is the way that the writer of Hebrews told us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Because we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, not at the storm that is going on, not at the chaos that is happening in our world. We look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, are you calling me out? Hey, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come. And then he says, come. And we say, all right, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to take one step on water. All right, Jesus, you're there. I'm going to take another step. All right, Jesus, you're there. I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to work my way to Jesus. I'm going to constantly follow him wherever he calls. Are we ready to have a risky faith? I mean, some of y'all might be like, oh my goodness, I just wanted to hear how good I was today and then get to go home. Not that Jesus is calling me to some crazy Christianity. He is. And crazy Christianity, when I say crazy Christianity, I mean risky faith. Stepping out and following Jesus. Saying, Jesus, I love my family. I love you more. I love my job, but I love you more. I love America, but I love you more. I love Jesus more than anything else. And I'm going to follow wherever he calls. I'm going to leave everything behind me. And I'm going to pursue Jesus. Even if I'm the only one walking, I'm going to follow Jesus. Notice there that it said this crowd of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12. Who is that crowd of witness? It is a group of people that through the history of time, God has called to extravagant, crazy, risky faith. I mean, you have people like Abraham who decided when he was called to a land that he didn't know, said, I'm going to go. You have Noah who was told, hey, build a boat. What in the world is a boat? It's going to rain. Jesus, God, we are landlocked right now. That's okay. Build this boat. I'm going to flood it. And then in faith, step in it. And I will shut the door and I will save you. Okay, I'm going to respond in faith to that. You have people like Gideon, 
who is hiding from the enemy when he is called from God, being a coward, saying, God, I am the least in my family, and my family is in the least of all the clans of Israel. Why would you use me? And then the angel of the Lord says, you are a mighty warrior. I'm going to call you to something great. All right, awesome. All right, let's go, Jesus. And then he says, you got 30,000 people, way too many men to fight this battle. I want you to cut it down and then cut it down again. We're going to break it down to the original 300 and we're going to go to war. And I don't even want you to take swords. I want you to take jars of clay and trumpets and torches. And that's how you're going to fight this battle. And Gideon's like, that's not how you fight battles, God. No, Gideon said, all right, I'm going to follow you. You have people like Moses, who we already talked about. One man who again was a coward, ran away, took care of sheep for 40 years, and then he came back and God said, I want you to lead a million people out of the most powerful nation in the, con- in the world right now. And you're just going to do it. You're going to walk out with all of them. And actually, before you leave, you're going to plunder them because they're going to give you stuff. They're going to give you jewelry. Like, again, that's not how things happen. But God said it, and Moses responded in faith. And then you see, at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer is like, time would not even allow me to write about Barak and all these people, Samson and all these people, and even people who are not named, but they were willing to give their lives for Jesus. It's not a safe, safe faith. We're called to what the world would say a risky faith. That's crazy. Yeah, it might seem that way. But when you realize that Jesus is on the water, you should realize I'm safer with him than I am in the boat. Christ is not calling us to a safe American faith, but instead to a risky, complete trust in him. I love the way C.S. Lewis said it about Aslan. In Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy was about to meet Aslan and she realizes he's a lion and she's like, oh man, like I'd be scared to meet a lion. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responds and said, safe? Whoever said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good and he's king. Your faith might not be safe in a worldly view, but boy, is it good. Because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is saying, I am. I am alpha and omega. I am beginning and the end. In John, Jesus gives multiple I am statements. John chapter 6 verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. 10-7, I am the door of the sheep. 10-11, I am the good shepherd. 11-25, I am the resurrection and the life. 14-6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15-1, I am the true vine. He says, I am the only way to heaven. No man comes to the Father except by me. Not your works, not your good personality, nothing except for the sacrifice that Jesus made will get you to heaven. And then he says, hey, when I call you, that's not the end. Let's go. 
and do this life together. Let's live on mission. Let's constantly be taking another step of faith, following Jesus everywhere that he calls you. Jesus is calling us to follow him with everything. But like Peter, we have to decide, am I willing to step out of the boat and follow him? Am I willing to say, God, you're not safe, but you're good. God, I don't know how this world is going to play out, but I'm going to follow you. God, I don't know if I'm going to make millions, but I know that I have an eternal life with you and that my millions would be nothing in your eternal city. God, I know that I'm never going to amount to anything, but I know that when I'm with you, I am precious. I am a chosen child. I am adopted into your family. God, I know that this, this world might fall apart and I might lose my life, but I know that you have a resurrection for me after with a new body and an eternal life that can never be taken from me. We have to respond in faith to that. And so the, the, the question is what Peter said to Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And so, like Peter, Jesus, if it's really you, call me to step out in faith. And Jesus proved that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He proved that he is the only way to the Father when he gave his life on the cross. And when he said, this is the only sacrifice that will ever bring man and God together. And he said, on that day, he said, from here I'm calling all men to come and follow me. And so his invitation, if you're waiting to hear, is what he said to Peter when Peter said, Jesus, if it's truly you, call me out on the water. And Jesus said, come, follow me, step out in faith. Yeah, you might not know what's going to happen, but you can know that I'm in control. You can know that I'm Lord and I'm God and that I have so much in store for you. And yeah, it's going to seem crazy, risky, unsafe, but it's good because he is God and he is deserving of everything. And so if you have not given your life over to Christ, the invitation is that come find the salvation I have in Jesus. And if you have given your life over to Christ, the invitation is come follow me in faith, wherever it is that I'm calling you. Love me more than your family, your job, your house, your possessions, whatever it is. Love me, follow me, and let me prove to you that when you follow me, it is so worth it. Because you could gain all of this world and lose your soul. And we need to start realizing that having Jesus, as Proverbs says, wisdom is finer or is worth more than the precious jewels Jesus is worth more than anything this world has to offer. And he says, hey, are you going to follow me? Yeah, you're following me? Now take another step of faith. All right, good, good. You took that step. Now take another step. Now take another step. 
Well, Jesus, when am I going to arrive when I finally call you home? Until then, I want you to follow me with a faith in me more than anything else. Father God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that, I mean, time and time again, you have proven that you are deserving of us just giving up everything and following after you. But time and time again, we are like Peter. And we start looking around and getting scared and started, start to question, are you really good? Are you really um, in control? Are you really everything you say you are? And you are God. And so I just pray for our hearts, for those who are hearing my voice, that we take that step of faith. God, if it is that first step of faith into a saving faith, of seeing that you and you alone are our source of salvation through the sacrifice that Jesus made. God, help us take that step of faith to just give our lives over to you. And if it's our millionth step, step of faith, God, may we continue to take them until you call us home. And so God, may we just be faithful to you in everything. So work in our hearts as I know you are and give us the courage to respond. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.